Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I thought we would take a journey up to Barry County and explore a forgotten community, which is known as Banfield. Now, I hesitate in calling it a lost village or a ghost town, as it's sometimes been referred to in one of the articles I read about, because people still live there. It's just not as well-known a community as it was in its early pioneer days in the county. And this is the little hamlet town of Banfield, Michigan. So come along and join me. We're going to take... Uh, journey back in time and explore some early history in Barry County. Now, oddly enough, I first became interested in Banfield, well, in a couple of different ways, but the, the main one that, that sparked my interest in looking into the history of the community was a contact I had from somebody that was listening in South America, and they reached out and they said, oh, there's a town of Banfield up in Michigan not too far from you, and I've been following you on YouTube and listening to the podcast, and I wondered if there was any connection to the Banfield down in his community where he lived in in South America, and I didn't know anything about Banfield, Michigan, and I looked it up, and I said, oh, I don't think there's any connection whatsoever. He just thought it was peculiar that the name B-A-N-F-I-E-L-D was the same name of a town where he lived. So that didn't really go anywhere. I sent him some information on it that I was able to look up. But in my search for history on this little community of Banfield in Barry County, I became interested at that point. And I came across this article that was published on one of the radio stations uh, WFMK 99.1. They have a blog, and I'll put the link to their article in the show note descriptions if you want to read that. But one of their writers over there at 99.1 WFMK, uh, John Robinson, published this article in January of 2019. So it's about five years old now. And he writes... The village of Banfield is another of Michigan's lost towns that you should check out. These days, it's considered to be a ghost town by many, even though there are still just a few residents. As far as the population number, no census has ever been taken. As part of Johnstown Township in Barry County, Banfield was made up mostly of Quakers when the townships in Barry were being settled in 1838. The township's main source of income was the lumber business, as was the case with most Michigan small towns in the 1800s. There were many Native Americans inhabiting the area, and there were occasional clashes and misunderstandings with the newly arrived white men. Fortunately, both sides knew how to compromise whenever problems arose, so no tragedies occurred, and they all became very honest with each other. At one time, the little burg of Banfield had a cemetery, church, general store, post office, nearby sawmills and shingle mills, schoolhouses, and a few scant other shops. The post office opened in 1880 and closed in 1904. 
the cemetery church former post office and old general store structures are still standing. And then he goes into explaining that you should check the place out on Google Maps or put it on your road trips to drive through. When you go through Banfield today, there is a uh, a remodeled general store, which you can see on Google Maps if you want to go there. And um, that has been updated in recent years. And there's also a couple of abandoned buildings, but there are some residences on that main street. And there are people that live in the area, so don't go exploring vacant buildings without getting permission if you're into that sort of thing. But I thought I would carry the story a little bit further and see if I could find some stories of people that lived in Banfield and maybe had an impact either in surrounding counties or Barry County. And I found a few stories, so I thought I would include them in this episode trying to explore a little bit of the lost history of the village of Banfield and see if I could put some personality to this little village that um, is just one of the many small lost hamlets that you will find in southwest Michigan that were once built around some sort of industry, typically lumber or grist mills, and then um, they fell by the wayside as uh, either the lumber supply changed or the farming changed or uh, they were connected with a railroad, and, and today there is no longer a railroad going through that community and so forth. And Banfield was kind of uniquely located between Hastings and Battle Creek, and it was once a stagecoach stop as well uh, back in the early days. So I found a few different references that talk about Banfield in different ways. Uh, there is an article in the Battle Creek Inquirer that ran in 1911 uh, on July 28th of that year, and it was a story about a pioneer stage driver that had died. It was his obituary, and it says, William Burroughs dies at home in Banfield at the age of 81, and he came to Michigan at age 6. William Burroughs passed away yesterday morning from acute bronchitis at his late home in Banfield at the age of 81. The deceased who is the last of the old stage drivers of Michigan, was born in New York State in 1829. Coming to the southern part of the state to live with his parents at the age of six, he had lived here until 1852 when he removed to Indiana. Mr. Burroughs commenced driving stage from Battle Creek in 1852, traveling over a route from this city to Hastings, and at one time covering the road from here to Kalamazoo and up to Grand Rapids. When the railroad took the place of the stage, the descendant took up farming, locating about two miles from Banfield. For the past several years, he has resided in Banfield. And then it goes on that he had two sons, William Burrow of Clay Street and Hudson, who lived at the old homestead. And he also had two daughters, Miss Effie Stevens of Lacey and Mrs. Emmeline Risberger of Delton. And Lacey is another very small little burg community that's not terribly far from Banfield up in Barry County. So that's a little interesting history of William Burroughs because he drove a stage from Battle Creek to Hastings and then he later took a stagecoach route from Kalamazoo to Grand Rapids. And then his job as a stagecoach driver disappeared as the railroad moved in and replaced that form of transportation. Now, I found this very interesting article 
about other hamlets of local importance that was published in the Standard Atlas of Berry County in 1895 by George Ogle. And in this atlas, he's talking about uh, some of the names of some of the little hamlets of Berry County. And he says, there are many other hamlets in the county of local importance. Dowling, named from the eccentric pioneer of Baltimore, who gave the township the name of the city of his birth. Cedar Creek, on the stream by the same name, was settled as early as 1850, when its first mill was erected. Morgan, originally called Sheridan, and Hickory Corners, where the first white schoolhouse in the township was built, mentioned in the statute as the place of the first township meeting in the township when Spalding was set off from it. Orangeville first settled in 1850 or 1851 when the mill at that place was built. This place was for a long time known as Orangeville Mills, but of later years has taken the name of the post office Orangeville. Cloverdale on the CKNS Railroad in the center of the best fishing country in the north central states. Prairieville, first settled by Hiram Lewis, a brother of the pioneer settler of Yankee Springs, likewise a hotel keeper, who in 1841 opened the first hotel in what is now the village. It was at this house that the first township meeting in the township of Spalding was held. Delton on the CKNS Railroad, platted after the location of that road by Fritz Allen Blackman, has become an important shipping point. It has a bank, several good stores, a hotel, elevator, and a weekly newspaper. Assyria Center, still a thriving trading post, and once much more important as a halfway house on the old stage line. Lacey, Banfield, Maple Grove Center, Coates Grove, Carlton Center, Pritchardville, Cressy, Doster, Milo, Parmalee, and other places are hamlets and trading posts. So Banfield was on that list as being part of a, a, a stagecoach line and as well as a trading post. And as you can see, there were a lot of little hamlet communities. And today we still see those names show up on road signs and and little different places that you'll find around Barrie County. And some of them have buildings still standing and some no longer have anything there. There's another reference to Banfield in a biographical review of Calhoun County on page 293 when they are talking about a biography of Charles McKenzie. And it says Charles McKenzie in 1865 moved to Barrie County and engaged in farming near Banfield. It was here that he wedded Mrs. Carrie E. Fish of that county, in which locality her parents had located on their removal westward from New York. She died May 6, 1903, but the father is still living at the old homestead. To the district schools of this state, Charles McKenzie is indebted for the early educational privileges he enjoyed. He later attended Albion College, where he pursued an elective course preparatory by taking up the study of law, having spent four years at Albion, he went to Ann Arbor and enrolled as a student of the law department at the University of Michigan in 1896. After studying there for a time, he engaged in business in Detroit for one year. He has had, for some time, been a member 
of Company L, Detroit Light Infantry of the National Guard, when the Spanish-American War was inaugurated. With this company, he enlisted and, and was mustered into the United States service as a member of Company L, 32nd Michigan Volunteer Infantry. The command was sent to Tampa, Florida, and was stationed there at Fernandina until the close of the war. Upon his return to the North, Mr. McKenzie resumed his law studies in Ann Arbor. After two years, was graduated with the class of 1900, winning the degree of Bachelor of Law. Immediately after he was admitted to the bar, he went to Detroit and remained with a prominent law firm of that city for a time. In the fall of 1900, he came to Battle Creek, where he opened an office and has succeeded in building up a good practice, winning the confidence and esteem of his fellow members of the bar and of the general public. He has been connected with a number of well-known cases of importance and is an attorney for a number of corporations. He prepares his cases with great fairness and is painstaking and careful in his work, and his knowledge of the law is accurate, exact, and comprehensive. On the 14th of December, 1899, Mr. McKenzie was joined in wedlock to Miss Bertie L. Miles of Battle Creek, a daughter of Amos S. and Alice A. Miles. They have a daughter, Pauline Louise. Mr. McKenzie is one of the early members of the Association of Spanish War Veterans, becoming a charter member of the post in this city. He has held the office of chaplain and at the present is serving as aide-de-camp on the staff of M. Emmett Murrell, the Commander-in-Chief, which gives him the rank of Colonel. His commission, hearing date, January 2nd, 1903. Mr. McKenzie met with the National Encampment held in New Haven, Connecticut in September 1903. He took an active part in the founding of the command in Battle Creek and is helpful in his work and prominent in the organization, a young man of ability. He is winning enviable success in his profession and in private life in gaining that warm personal regard which arises from geniality, kindliness, and deference for the opinions of others. And that is the story of Charles McKenzie. And he at one time lived in Banfield. Uh, another reference I found in the past and present of Eaton County, page 201, where there is a story of Joel Barra, who is the postmaster of the village of Sunfield, where he is also engaged in the furniture and undertaking business as one of the representative citizens of this thriving and attractive town. Mr. Barra is a native of the Buckeye State, which has contributed not little to the sterling fabric of citizenship in Eaton County. He was born in Portage County, Ohio, February 8, 1854, and is the son of Henry and Louisa Barra, the former of which was born in Germany and the latter in England. Both were infants at the time of the immigration of their respective families to America. Both families were originally located in Pennsylvania and then moved to Ohio. Henry Barra became the owner of a good farm in Ohio, where he remained until 1865, when he removed to Berry County, Michigan, where he purchased 80 acres of land, about 20 acres having had the timber girdled and a log shanty having been erected. 
He reclaimed a good farm from the wilderness and continued to reside on this homestead until his death in 1889 at the age of 62 and his wife dying at the same homestead at the age of 48 years. They became the parents of seven children, of whom Joel H. was first born. Joel H. Barra secured his early educational training in the district schools of his native county in Ohio, having been 11 years of age at the time of the family removal to Barry County, Michigan, where he continued his studies in the public schools, having attended the high school in Ravenna one year. He continued to assist in the work of the home farm until he had attained the age of 20 years when he became a clerk in a general store at Banfield. Here we go. Here's our connection to Banfield, Michigan. And he stayed employed at the general store in Banfield for six years. And then he came to Shaytown, Eaton County, where he filled a similar position for five years. And then in 1887, he took up his residence in Sunfield, building one of the first stores of the newly planted town and putting in a stock of general merchandise. He conducted that general store for several years, then disposing of the same. And in 1892, he erected the substantial building now occupied by his furniture and undertaking business, representing the only enterprise of this sort in the village of Sunfield. And he has a liberal patronage from the start, keeping a good line of furniture, while the equipment of the undertaking department is in excellent in its particulars. Mr. Barra is a progressive as a businessman and a citizen and maintains a deep interest in all that makes for the advancement and well-being of his home, town, and county. So that's just a little interesting side story about a few people that lived or had a connection to Banfield, Michigan. Uh, Mr. Barra grew up part of his year, early years in the Barry County area, worked for six years at the general store in Banfield, and then uh, took his knowledge of that business to eventually found his own store over in Sunfield, Michigan. And it's also an interesting note that a lot of the furniture makers were also undertakers. That was quite a common thing during the early 1900s, late 1800s, uh, because being an undertaker was not a full-time job, uh, having a funeral home was not something that uh, people were able to do as a full-time basis when the population, it just makes sense. So they had usually had another type of business and they did the undertaking on the side or as a portion of their business. So a lot of these places, and I have come across this type of stories all over Southwest Michigan. There was a historic cemetery tour that I attended this past year up in Charlotte, where they emphasized all of the people they featured in that cemetery tour as the historic undertakers from the community. And they had uh, probably four or five of them in that tour. And they each told stories. And one of them, recall, was a uh, furniture maker at the same time as being uh, an undertaker for the community. And Joel Barra went on to become the postmaster of Sunfield over in uh, Eaton County. So those are just the few little stories that I was able to find about Banfield, Michigan. At some point down the road, I have plans to try to put together another book on lost villages and tell some of the stories of these little hamlets and other places that have interesting backstories. Uh, from what I was able to determine about Banfield, it had been 
uh, a farming community, there was a general store, and it had been a stagecoach stop at one point. Uh, it, I was not able to determine that a railroad had ever gone through there, um, but it had been on a stagecoach stop along with Lacey and a few other places that were on their way to Hastings and their different routes. Assyria was another uh, popular trading post for a while, as I mentioned in that earlier article that I referenced. So it went from Assyria over to Lacey, I think over to Banfield, and then probably took a, a turn and continued up into Delton or over into Hastings. But I don't know about you. I always love to learn a little bit of the history of some of these small uh, hamlets and villages that you drive through occasionally. If you're driving around southwest Michigan, you wonder, what was the story about this place? Was it an old railroad town or was it just some place that uh, they needed a general store and it kind of built up from there uh, for a farming community? Or was it uh, connected on a waterway somewhere like a canal or a... Uh, river or something like that or was it something that was a stagecoach line and so forth so it's just kind of an interesting look at history when you start digging into the stories of some of these lost villages and i have done episodes on harmonia which was founded entirely on spiritualism there was another village that was founded on a uh, a form of socialism that they were trying to experiment with that was over near Galesburg. Uh, that was an interesting story. There are a lot of lost or smaller villages that are just, they still exist today because people live there, but they're not a thriving big communities that they once were. And you find those pretty much all over Southwest Michigan. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history. Just thought I would uh, do a little profile on a obscure little village called Banfield. And there apparently is still a small cemetery there. There is a church, and there's the general store, and there's a few old buildings. Uh, there's a couple of abandoned stores. So if you've got some investors out there that want to maybe purchase an old abandoned store and renovate it and put a gift shop or something in that community, I'm sure they would welcome it. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. And if you want to pre-order my upcoming book that's coming out on March 11th, which is Victorian Southwest Michigan True Crime, you can do so at michaeldelaware.com. Uh, pre-orders are always welcome and I will send you a signed copy of the book. You can also find my calendar of upcoming book events. I've been working a lot on that lately of getting the material all ready for those upcoming uh, presentations. And I've got uh, speaking events set up in Battle Creek, Kalamazoo, Marshall, Albion, Jackson, and even as uh, over in St. Joseph I have one event scheduled as well as Hastings, Colon, Michigan, and I'm working on some other places like Coldwater and uh, Charlotte. I've got to get those dates worked out and put on my calendar. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of other ones coming up, so be sure to check in at michaeldelaware.com if you're curious about where you can come and hear a little history talk and uh, get a signed copy of my book. Greatly appreciate seeing you guys there. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can also uh, send me a contact form on that website as well. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening. Thank you.